I think it's important that we get free is because uh, we are at a place in history where we've reached the tipping point and we are now on a slippery slope away from a world that is uh, honoring of Christianity and of biblical masculinity and of marriage and of man as male and female and of a world well-ordered. Things that a lot of the older guys in the room grew up with as the norm are no longer the norm. And so we're not just living in a static environment, we're actually now fighting uphill. Uh, One of the reasons I, on Sunday, asked all the old guys in the church to come out, even if you thought pornography is a thing of your past, maybe, or not something you're struggling with, uh, we need every soldier in this army, and we need the youngest guys to need the help and the encouragement and the mentoring of the older guys, um, because this is going to be a battle. It's a battle. Not only that, but... Um, the, 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 um, the reality of pornography has drastically changed. So I'm, I'm like a Gen Z millennial, like right down the middle. Like I was born the month that you choose whether you're going to be a Gen Z or a millennial. So I have kind of, um, kind of components of both of those dispositions. But I grew up in a world without the internet. So um, a lot of, raise your hand if you grew up without a cell phone. And without, yeah, yeah, a lot of guys here tonight, right? So I didn't have a cell phone until I was 20 years old. I didn't have internet in my home or a computer connected to the internet until I was 25. Like, I just, we just grew up without that. It wasn't a priority for me. So, like, I didn't grow up on internet porn, which is an entirely different beast than pornography as it was presented um, through magazines and VHS tapes uh, in the 80s and 90s when it was influential for me. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so, if you're here and you grew up in, like, me or older, you don't even, you can't even grasp what 11-year-olds have been exposed to in middle school on the phones of their friends, even if their parents are doing the best they can to insulate them. Um, it's, inc- it's just incredible. And so like, we are in a battle, and it's, it's every man's battle in a sense we say that, but it's also we are, we are in a battle for the future of, of Christ's mission and the men who he's called to be a part of that mission. And pornography is a major hang-up, and so I wouldn't be doing a disservice to our church and to you men if I didn't uh, address it and we didn't start having a conversation about that. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, let's turn to the scriptures first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. So 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. It was in response to a number of issues that had been reported to the Apostle Paul. And so there's some um, now concerning language, not concerning this topic. It kind of moves through topically. And so in chapter 6, we're getting to the nature of um, relationships, pairs, and also sexual appetite and where it is appropriate to satisfy oneself sexually. So I figured that would be a good launching place. There's lots of other scriptures to talk about relevant issues. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So here we are on this global, cosmic, eternal picture of The kingdom of God, all humanity into two categories, the unrighteous and the righteous. Now, you don't become righteous by doing good things. Somebody say amen. Amen. You become righteous by receiving righteousness from God by his grace and through faith. Yes. But that gift then transforms you to live in concert with his power at work within you, which leads you on a path of righteousness. Yes. Yes. That righteousness never saves you. But it is the natural outcome of a faith in God. Yes. And so there are two categories of the righteous and the unrighteous, the believing and the unbelieving, and that juxtaposition is being made here in verse 9. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will 
inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11. And such were some of you. Let me highlight the word were. Praise Jesus. That there's nobody from this list excluded from the kingdom of heaven. That there is a were. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That is declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. And verse 12 could be in quotations in your Bible. But this is the claim from the Corinthians. All things are lawful for me. So now that I'm a Jesus follower, I can basically do whatever I want. This is the claim. All things are lawful for me. But, Paul says in commentary, not all things are helpful. So there's some things that you could do, but are those things that you should do? Now we're in the realm of wisdom. Know thyself. Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Just because there's not a law against it doesn't mean you should do it. There's no women in the house, so I'll have to say it out loud. Just because you can clean out the gutters, guys, doesn't mean you should be up there, 77 years old, cleaning out your gutters. Just being honest with you. Get used to that. All things are lawful for me, more commentary, but I will not be dominated, somebody say dominated, by anything. And now here's this justification for kind of blatant, flagrant sexual immorality. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. You have an appetite, satisfy it, none of it matters. It's all going to the same place is the idea here. And the Apostle Paul comments, God will destroy both one and the other if you're in that unrighteous camp. And so there's this impulse in the Corinthians, which is a highly sexualized society. There's all kinds of sexual promiscuity and incest. And all, I mean, just the, the whole scale of everything that you could do a Google search for was happening in Corinth in real time in a world without the Internet and without pornography. And so the concept here is basic sexual needs met. This brings up a really important topic for Christian men because I talked about this on Sunday a little bit, but there's this Gnosticism that comes into the church that puts faith up in your head and heart. It has nothing to do with what you do with your body. I'm the chief of sinners. I always mess up. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And you just justify your evil because you're weak. And that's, that's a cop-out. Do you know that? That's not, that's not Christianity. That's a separation of what you do with your body and what you do with your mind, as if the two things could be separated, and they cannot. So take, for instance, this issue. It's a textual issue, but in an illustrative way. Proverbs 6, 25 and 26. Um, the ESV, which is my preferred preaching Bible, says, Do not desire her, speaking of a married woman, so the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For... For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down the precious life. In the ESV, it makes it sound like, just get yourself a hooker, boy. Don't mess around with a married woman. Do you see it? That's the way it's rendered in the English Standard Version. In the English Standard Version. So do you think that's what the Bible says? No. Okay, so I find this to be a poor translation in this particular instance. Bill can start to look up the Hebrew. Um, the King James says, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And so Hebrew is not like English. And so there's an inference and there's contextualization. But you're essentially, you're making yourself a paycheck. You're lowering your value to the, to the point of you are a ham sandwich to this woman. That's what she's turning you into. Do you see that? The New Living Translation says, a prostitute will bring you to poverty. And so now the piece of bread now becomes like you're a beggar. And so if you go chasing after you satisfying every sexual urge, you will waste your money in this pursuit and never be satisfied. Do you see the, the connection here? So words matter and thoughts matter. And so how we believe in the Christian church matters 
And if we get this idea in our head that porn is fine, masturbation is fine, because we're just taking care of ourselves, or I have, I have a stronger appetite than my wife, and so what's between, that doesn't hurt anything. Or we start to do all these justifying behaviors where we are essentially separating ourselves. Or if you're single, be like, oh, if I was married, I'd be fine. But, you know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. You start to justify your behavior based on your own categories and justifications. Do you see this pattern? I could give you lots and lots more examples, but you know what I'm talking about. And so this is what the Corinthians are doing. So the, the, the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue. So he continues in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So God's interested in what happens with your members and what you do with your body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So you're going to get a new body. God cares about what happens with your body. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That if you have faith in Jesus and you become righteous in him... Now, you're actually, your physical body is a part of his body. Amen. So there's an inextricable connection between what you do and what you do with the body that you are now a part of. Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. This is from Genesis 2. And it's speaking of the sexual union in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for their entire life. So there's a spiritual, physical oneness that occurs in the sexual union, which is a good thing, which we'll talk about. But he who, has, who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So now you have this oneness with Christ, which makes you one with him. So how would you take that and then apply that into some physical evil? Now, before I get to verse 18, some of you will immediately go, well, I'm not sleeping with a prostitute. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not engaged in physical sexuality. This is all just different. And so this is that age-old fight that men and women have been having as long as I've been a pastor. Do you know how many women have asked me, is my, my husband's pornography use justifiable adultery and can I leave him for his refusal to do this? Is, do I have grounds for divorce? Is this, you know, this is a great question. These are the theological questions I have to deal with. So he's saying, no, 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 I'm not cheating on you. It's just porn. But what is it? And so you might be reading this and go, well, he's talking about prostitution. Well, there was no pornography. There was no internet in the first century. So how are we to make these connections? Well, here's what I want to tell you. The English phrase, sexual immorality, is one word in Greek, and it is, guess what? Porneia. Porneia. And it means to commercialize sexuality. And so in the Christian church, and in the entire witness of the scriptures, there are two categories for everything sexual. Sexual morality and sexual immorality. So you start reading Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you will find that sex is a gift from God, is not evil. God did not put Adam and Eve in the garden and go, what are they doing? <laughs> did he blush? Oh, I can't believe this. No, no. God designed the, sexual, the, the gift of sex, all of its chemical and chemistry parts inside of both male and female bodies, its physicality, it's meant to be treasured and shared. And when it's used in the proper way, it actually has tremendous benefits, just like fire. You put fire in a fire pit, Good. Fire in the fireplace? Good. Fire on the sofa? Not good. You understand? And so the scriptures will give you a picture of sex that is very good, but also because it's so powerful, when you take it out of its context and you put it anywhere else in any other circumstances, it becomes extremely dangerous and very destructive, just like fire. So if you're already trying to make a disconnect in your mind between prostitution and pornography, 
Don't. Don't let yourself get into that. This is all the same thing. And I'll explain this to you a little bit. Look at verse 18. Flee. Somebody say flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Doesn't say fight, does it? It says flee. Flee. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. God, thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. Help us now to apply its eternal truths to our lives, our situations, our thoughts, feelings, and desires, that our lives would express the righteousness that leads to salvation and the good news that the world needs to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. God, we are your servants and we need your help. So I pray that you would speak to us, that you would equip us with everything that we need to be who you have called us to be. Lord, I pray tonight we begin a series of conversations that would lead to men being men, of unrighteousness giving way to righteousness, of new eyes to see the world as it is and not merely as it appears. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to just tell you a little bit of my story. As I mentioned already, I grew up pre-internet, and so I didn't have a history with internet um, pornography, and I'm very grateful because it's insanely addictive. All pornography is addictive. We'll talk about that. The internet pornography is particularly addictive. Um, my my uh, exposure to pornography started when I was six years old. I was six years old, and an 11-year-old neighbor of mine was tearing pages out of a lingerie catalog from a Sears catalog or something like that. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, as a six-year-old, I knew that what I was looking at was attractive to me. And I also knew that he got the good pages and I got the bad pages based on the level of skin that was being shown. So God wired us as men and from go, whether we're young or old, that is a developing part of who God made us to be. So it's not bad, but that's where it started. And here's where it went. Uh, he gave me these pages, and I'm looking at them, and I folded them up and put them in my pocket. And when I came home for bath time, my mom pulled them out of my pocket and wailed on my naked bottom um, so angrily. And I'm only imagining now, in retrospect, that she had some feelings about pornography of her own. And uh, she was thinking she had my dad over her knee, and she was wailing on me like I was him. That's what it felt like. And so I got two messages. One is, there's something very attractive and powerful out there that seems to be hidden away from me, and if I am caught with it, I will be in trouble. These are the messages. You guys have a similar experience at some point in your childhood? Yeah, some of us did. And so this is what set me up. Now my parents sheltered us as much as they possibly could. We were kept away from television and influences of other people. Um, so aside from a few bikini girls in the surf shop window, there was no uh, option. I also grew up in New Smyrna, basically half naked my entire life, and so I was somewhat acclimated to girls in bathing suits wasn't particularly alluring or tempting in a pornographic way for me. I was kind of just normal. But when I was 13 years old, some buddies of mine were riding our bikes through the woods, down Saxon Avenue, there's houses there now, there's a trail back there behind the Publix, and we found what was some kind of little camp, and there was stacks of, of magazines. 
And so like, I knew this was wrong. I've been told that it was wrong, but I didn't have any exposure to it. And I experienced that at that point, as I'm looking through these images, incredible uh, dopamine dumps of chemicals in my body that I'd never experienced before, alongside of intense guilt and fear that someone was going to catch me. And so we, a Christian buddy of mine, we took all those magazines and we put them in a porta potty at a house on the corner that was under construction. We stuffed them all down into the blue stew. And we felt like we had done this righteous thing. But I'll never forget the guilt I felt later that night when I'm laying in my bed wondering if I could fish one of them out of there. And so, like, the impulse begins. Now, in early adolescence, there's also, like, a, a, a genuine, like, holy curiosity. Like, God made us to learn and to grow and to know things. And there's some things that young boys need to know and to be prepared for. And too often in Christian circles, because of the fear of succumbing to evil, we don't do a good job of equipping our young with the truth that they need to be able to make sense of the world as they experience it. And so right now, you used to be able to get away with that. You cannot insulate your children anymore. It's not going to happen. And so we've got to equip the youngest among us to, be, uh, to know how to handle what comes out of them and when. For their own good, for their future, and for the world that they're seeking to influence. So that kind of is where it left for me. Uh, I had several other interactions with pornography just in the homes of people that I knew. Um, but again, because of its nature being public and I didn't have access to it, we had no privacy growing up. It, would, it never became like a real issue for me until when I was already a pastor, we, I got a house, home office, and a connection to the internet with a computer. And uh, the pastor that I was serving under had all of our computers set up with Covenant Eyes at the time, which was a, a new program that was supposed to filter out pornography and reporting. And so we had these devices all set up, and it was in the Covenant Eyes report, um, the accountability report, for the first time I get a little email going, your accountability partner has questionable images. And 1 10 a.m., and here's this link, and I clicked on the link, and it opened up um, an image right in front of me. And at this point, my wife's working, we have no children, I'm at home, and that was my uh, exposure to internet pornography and the opportunity to view pornography. And so like many Christian men, I indulged, felt terrible, promised myself I'd never do it again, told no one, and then went through a period where I was strong-arming my own soul against this temptation that I could not deal with properly. And so over the period of about five years, I just circled the drain, and a number of months or years would go by, and then I'd have a little hiccup, and then I'd do the same thing. Tell no one, move past it, never do it again. And so this happened, but you can't live that way and not get caught, praise Jesus. Everything comes to the light, right? And so there was many opportunities, exit ramps in my experience with my wife, where you know she'd see something on the computer, or she'd have a question for me, and I'd get all uncomfortable, and I lied a lot about it, tried to cover it all up. The Lord kept bringing it back up again and again and again. It didn't really change, though, from about 2005 when this kind of started all the way through until about 2016. This is the same pattern. It caused terrible conflict between my wife and I. I would constantly lie about it, which would undermine the trust in our marriage. Uh, I would promise I would never do it again long periods of time. I would feel great about myself for all the many weeks and months and years sometimes that I went without indulging or looking at pornography. And then I would try to talk myself into feeling better about myself. But this cycle continued to happen um, until the breakdown in our relationship like, led us to a place where like, we, can't, we can't keep making it work this way. She didn't want to be married to me if this was going to continue to be a pattern uh, in my life. And so it was at that super, super low point that it never needed to get to that I actually started asking the important questions. And those important questions were, 
Um, can any man be free from this? And what am I believing about God and myself that keeps me doing the same things over and over and over again? Because there's lots of other things, topics, issues that I've faced and grown out of. Why not this one? And so what was it I'm believing maybe wrongly about this? And then what, are, what tools are available to me to actually start to change? And so it really wasn't until about 2016 that I actually started to pursue that change. And over the course of about two years, um, I went through a lot of failed attempts at things that I thought this was it. Turns out it wasn't. Um, and in about February of 2018, I uh, hadn't looked at porn in probably two years at that point, but I still found myself dodging every scantily clad woman that came by, getting nervous about every little thing. I cut out everything in my life that I thought could lead me down any type of trail that would end in uh, viewing something pornographic. So I was doing everything on the outside, but I was realizing that there was nothing different on the inside except I was just living in sheer terror of the moment I would slip up and I would ruin everything. And so maybe some of you are here tonight and you've got to that point before. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've figured out some new normal that wasn't my normal, but that is where I lived. And I will never forget um, early in 2018, just crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I, I, something's got to change. Like, what is, what is going to change? And this is when he began to change my mind. Amen. Began to change my mind about a number of assumptions that I was bringing into this topic and into what it means to be a man in what, who, who God had made me to be. How many of you guys have blamed God? Like, why did you make this? Why did you make me this way? This doesn't feel like it's my fault. I was wired like this from the factory. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so... I'm grappling with those things. And so I find the seeds of those topics in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 20, which is why I wanted to read this passage tonight. And I'd like to talk about a few of these points together and hopefully uh, give you guys some tools or at least, at least a conversation that we can begin uh, to talk about this together. Uh, the first word I want to draw your attention to is unrighteous. I don't want to assume that everybody who's listening to me thinks that porn is necessarily bad. I, know, I talk to guys who feel like there's good porn and bad porn, hardcore porn and soft porn. I don't look at this, but I don't mind looking at that. Or there's this don't look and don't touch uh, ideology. And so I've interacted with lots of guys who have, who have come to lots of like, self-justifying ways that they're going to manage this issue that they can't seem to get rid of. And so I just want to go on, on the record as saying um, everything outside of a lifelong heterosexual covenant relationship for sexuality is sexually immoral. Amen. It's like the clear teaching of the Bible. Um, this is the reason why homosexuality is evil. It's not because people who are same-sex attracted are bad. They're broken. But guess what? So are you. Do you understand? Yes. Homosexuality is bad and evil because God said this is what sex is and this is what it's for. And if you use it for anything else, that's bad. It's bad for you bad for the other person, ends up being bad for society. And so we don't stand in judgment of people whose brokenness is different than ours, but we do have to stand up and say, I'm going to go with what God said on this one. And, but then, if we're going to do that, we also have to then say, okay, well, what is my proclivity? What is my temptation? Where am I tempted to go outside of the bounds of what God has gifted me and use this incredibly powerful thing in a destructive way, and then have some humility about what that is? Uh, we don't need a church full of cisgender, heterosexual males who objectify women all day and then point the finger at homosexuals. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so like, we got to have categories for this. Um, sex is good. Sex is good. we got to teach our kids this. I grew up in a really like, purity-driven culture where sex is bad. 
It was like, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then you get married and you're like, go ahead, have sex. Like, well, that didn't make things work well. <laughs> kind of set you up for failure there. You have this understanding of like, sex is this thing that God designed. And as you start to understand its chemical process too, it's insane. Like God has made this thing so, so, so good. It has such powerful connective ability. God didn't, God gave us this, he gave men this incredible visual stimulus and this incredible ap- appetite that drives us to win at something and that winning is pursuing a woman, protecting her, loving her, um, uh, caring for her, meeting, meeting her needs. And as we are like driven by this internal motor, she responds to that and she gives herself to us and we give herself to, to her. We end up bonded in a way that actually makes everybody else look weird. Do you know this? You know, the more you, you are, the more you're sexually active with your wife and you shut out all other things, the more attractive she becomes and the uglier everything else gets around you. Amen. Porn does the exact opposite. It creates this epitome of beauty that draws your attention to this thing that isn't even real. And then you compare your wife to that thing and you become increasingly less satisfied with the good thing that God gave you, sometimes to the point where you can't even have a sexual relationship in your own marriage. Do you see the difference here? One of these things leads to an inherent good for you, for your wife, for your marriage, for your family, and for society. And the other one leaves you on a path that leads to darker and darker and darker and angrier and more violent cycles that ultimately destroy you as a person, dehumanize you, and destroy the world through you, and society crumbles. And so sex is good, and, and the, the balance that God gives it allows it to be fruitful and beautiful and wonderful and celebrated and honored, and we ought to honor sex as a culture of Christians. And then everything that is not inside of that Parameter, we ought to just be willing to call sexual immorality and say it's bad. It doesn't matter if you can make an excuse of why it's... We do this thing and we're like, well, at least I'm not doing that. Well, that doesn't make it good, dude. Well, I don't do this. I, I, that's irrelevant. Because there's good and there's bad. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm really kind of over here at 2 o'clock on the bad side. So at least I'm not over here. Like, no. That's not how this works. God's after repentance where you say, I'm going to stop being the one to decide everything. You're God. You made me. You made this. I'm going to go your direction. Whether I feel it or not, like it or not, I'm drawn to it or not, as I obey you, I'm going to experience the freedom and the power to receive your good gifts. Amen? Amen. So unrighteous. There is moral right and wrong. God is involved. Paul goes to great lengths to let you know that God cares about your body, that he's attached himself to your body. What you do with your body has implications on him. Um, What you do with your body has implications for you. And so you've got to get yourself far, far, far away. So all of these powerful forces of desire are not a curse. So if you found yourself in cycles of, of uh, addictive behavior around pornography and you've cursed your sex drive, don't. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It should drive you to do things. Some of our young guys, you need to know, like, God made you this way because he wants you to get married, get a job, make some money, find a girl, win her and love her forever. If you sit at home watching porn, like, where are you motivated to do any of those hard things? So God's given you the engine that you need to be a good, godly, productive member of society and a good husband. And he will he'll make you more of a man as you allow that desire to, to point you in the right direction. You see how a good gift this is? It's easy to say when you're married. Uh, but it can be harnessed for good uh, or evil. And so here's what porn does. Porn shows up and it bathes itself in lies. It's completely covered in lies. And everything that you hear about porn that doesn't, come, doesn't line up with God's word doesn't come out of God's word, is a lie. There's a lot of things that you're going to be told about porn. Porn is good. Uh, porn is healthy. There's, there's obviously, you know, there's all kinds of bad stuff there, but it's fine for you. Lots of messaging in that direction. All, all of those things are lies. Porn is unrealistic people 
doing unrealistic things in unrealistic places. And unfortunately, when there's young guys like I was and like some of the guys here tonight, and you're trying to understand sexuality, some of us grew up learning sex 101 was porn 101. And that's all lies. It's all lies. Nothing about porn is sex. I'm here to like pop that myth. If you're looking, well, I'm just trying to learn. Well, you're learning in the wrong place. Because everything you're learning is exactly the opposite of true. And so don't bother. And so this is what porn does. It bathes itself in lies. And so if there's curiosity, that's fine. It's totally fine if you have curiosity. Ask all the questions. But you'll discover the answers can be told to you. And so they're audible, not visual. And the expression and experience of them is intimate and personal. And therefore only to be explored inside of the covenant relationship. And so guess what? Get married. Get in a relationship with one woman for the rest of your life. And guess what? Go to school. <laughs> Go to sex school. And it'll be beautiful and wonderful. Somebody say amen. Uh, porn is dehumanizing. We have this impulse in our culture. This, this, this thing that is actually toxic masculinity is my appetites are my identity. And so we begin to treat women, whether it's our spouse or other women, as an object. I want sex. You can give that to me. And so I'm going to pursue you to get it. And I'm going to throw you away. In the same way you delete something off your computer screen. You throw some girl away. Once you've got what you want, it's all about you. And sex isn't about you getting what you want. Sex is about you giving yourself to another person and receiving them back. And having this miraculous, super spiritual bonding. So sex is beautiful and brings two people together. Porn is destructive, objectifies and dehumanizes other people. And there's a very, very big Difference, And I know you know this, but pornography fuels and fun, funds sex trafficking. The victims, the, the stars of porn are not stars. The things they are saying and pre- pretending are lies. What, and what you are engaging with when you participate in viewing pornography is the fueling and funding of the evil that takes vulnerable people out of environments, exploits them till they've got nothing left to, to give, and then throws them away in utter brokenness. For gain. It's the modern day slavery. And if you're paying for porn or watching porn, you are fueling and funding that. And you cannot not be a part of that industry if you're engaging in this. And I say that because these are the things that you don't want to think about when you're just watching the first free 30 seconds. Or when you're only scrolling through images and you're justifying your behavior. No, you are on the on-ramp to the industry that is destroying humanity in our generation. Nothing good comes out of it. Nothing. If you hear nothing else tonight, listen to me. There's no benefit to you. I'm going to give you some some, uh, websites you can start to read on. But when you learn what porn is doing to you, if you're using it, it is literally ruining you. It's destroying you as a man. It's It's changing your brain chemistry and brain pathways to turn you into less of a person. There's nothing good that comes out of it. You have to believe this because until you get free of pornography and it no longer has an allure over you, when you're tempted to view it, you've got to have a thought in your mind saying, this feels like something good. I know it's not. Do you understand? I think it's more powerful than crap, more powerful than heroin. Like we're, we, you may have never done drugs. You look at people who are all strung out on the street and you go, why would you do that to yourself? No, they just believe they'll be happier when they're high. And then, they, then that high runs out, and they're miserable, and the only happiness they can find is another high. And porn does the exact same thing to our brain. There's nothing good in it. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, these are the things that I had to deal with as I tried to get free from porn. All porn forever, not, not just for long periods of time, not just in the only minor ways that I was engaging with it, not in a way that I was justifying that I'm not addicted to porn, not in all the nice things I said to my wife, not in my own version of myself, the, the actual problems that I have that I face, here's what I face. And I, these are, I made long lists in my phone and I worked through these lists personally over a long period of time. Number one, I normalized lust. I normalized it and a lot of us normalize it. Boys will be boys. I'm just looking. I'm not doing anything. I'm never gonna cheat on my wife. I, it's, it's, just, it's just this, everybody does it. And I even know a lot of guys who are way deep in stuff that I've never even considered dabbling in and I compare myself to them normalize the whole behavior, and you start to justify your little sliver of this darkness. And that is wrong. You've got, you've got to understand, yes, 91.5% of men view pornography in America in the 21st century. Did you know that? And something like 60.2% of women. So it's an epidemic, silent epidemic. But just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Do you understand? Amen. So we can't let ourselves normalize. Secondly is minimize. This is where we go into that comparison. I can feel better about myself compared to you, not compared to God's righteous standard. When I hold myself up to his word and he says righteous, unrighteous, I gotta be in one of two camps. This is why Paul starts this section by going, you don't inherit the kingdom over there. What are you doing over there? You gotta be over here, remember? You were over there, you got saved out of that. Don't live over there. And so don't minimize something by comparing yourself to others and going, well, I'm not as dirty as them. I'm not as evil as them. He says, no, it's not about comparison. You're in or you're out. And so be in. You understand? These are the thoughts we've got to be thinking and be armed with if we're going to begin to overcome this. And then thirdly, I, I think like most men, but I have a particular problem with compartmentalization. So I normalize, I minimize, and I compartmentalize. Some of you already are thinking to yourself, how was this guy a pastor and looking at pornography? You're like, I know I look at pornography, but I'm not a pastor. Like, how, how could you do that? Maybe you even have your wife say, how could you do this to me? How could you do this knowing this is how I would feel? And the, the answer is, men are waffles and women are spaghetti. That's why. We have little boxes for everything. We have our work box and we have our neighbor box and we have our grilling meat box and we have our stuff in the garage box and we have our retirement box. And we think in all of these different boxes. And we can go stick our head in a box and every other one of the boxes is gone. Do you know that? Are you like me? And so I can just check out of the world and none of the factors that would keep me from doing a very evil thing are working. Why? Because I'm in my box. And I had to recognize that this is a very unhelpful way for me to be. Now this is actually connected to trauma. So if you're here and you had... You've had some trauma in your life, if you were abused physically, sexually, if you came out of a spiritually abusive environment, if you've been in, in a situation where someone you thought you could trust hurt you badly, you tend to have, we tend to have this worse than others who were raised in a normal environment. I'm not convinced that anybody was raised in a normal environment. I think those people are hypothetical. Um, but we tend to switch off in ways to self-protect, but it allows us to become a different version of ourself. And so if you don't recognize that you have this propensity to do this, then a lot of times you'll find yourself doing all the right things and then still falling and failing and then coming out of your box and going, wow, how did that happen? And so a part of this journey is becoming a whole self. 
Part of this journey is recognizing that you are the same person at 1.30 a.m. when everybody's asleep as you are at 4.30 at your job, at 8 o'clock when you're making your kids toast. You are the same person. And so do not allow yourself to compartmentalize so that you can do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. This, these are really important things for you uh, to get into. Now, I got more pages of notes. I'm trying to decide how deep I want to get into this with you guys tonight before we talk. Um, I do want to talk about the word dominated. Somebody say dominated. Um, have you ever had anybody ask you when you were in some cycle of behavior, why don't you just stop? And I've had this conversation with guys who use pornography, and, and I say, they, they don't think it's bad. And I say, I think it's really bad for you. I think it's doing bad things to your brain. And they go, it's not. I say, okay, just stop. Just don't do it for one year. If you can stop, just stop. Do you think they can do it? No. Because like the pastor said, you become dominated by that very thing. This is why pornography has such a powerful, addictive component. It gets you, it rewires you, and then it keeps you from being able to find joy anywhere else. In fact, it's so, uh, this is where we get into some of the chemistry and some of the psychology, but pornography is such a powerful brain chemistry um, dopamine dump that it, it's, it's hard to even compare it to like illicit drugs like cocaine and heroin. You, you like get more immediate satisfaction and with no, no commitment to anything. And so here's the thing, you were actually made for intimacy. You were made to, for intimacy with God, you were made to know God richly, deeply, and personally in a transformative way that shapes you into the best version of yourself. And you were made for intimacy with a woman that puts you in a relationship where you're, in a complementary way, um, becoming a new unit that is powerful and, and, and deep and that fulfills you as a person. You were made for intimacy. This is why a lot of times when we're sexually abused, if our parents were abusive, we're really messed up in the intimacy department. And so we go chasing intimacy, and what we find is the false promise of intimacy to pornography. It brings us into this incredibly intimate act that we're watching, not participating in. And it gives us this incredible euphoric experience of what intimacy is supposed to give you in this beautiful, holistic way. And it gives you this, this super acidic drop of it all of a sudden. And then your body responds as though you've just had this uh, sexual encounter that's supposed to bond you to another person, and there's nobody else there. Which is why it leads to hopelessness and depression and cyclical um, patterns of more and more and more uh, ang anger is a big outcome of this chemical process because your body's supposed to be able to function in a certain way and there's no one there to share it with and it materializes in more and more angry and violence, which is why people who watch more and more porn watch more and more angry porn and dominating porn and stuff that you go, I never, you never would have thought this was a thing, but it grabs your interest and pulls you in because it's remapping your brain. This is what the scientists are learning. And so it's deadly and it's dominating. And part of the reason is this guy right here. Apple really messed us all up with this. Because pornography went from being something you had to do a shameful thing to get your hands on. Or at least be known by a handful of other creepy people. To now you have instant access. It's AAA pornography. It's accessible, anonymous, and affordable. You can have instant Forget the loaf of bread we talked about earlier. It's free. It's free. It's in your pocket. And no one will ever know. That's the most dangerous combination of temptation that any human being can face. And so you're going to have to have some tools to help you be set free. And if you engage, you become a slave. You become dominated. Jesus in John 8, 34 said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, practices it, engages in it on purpose, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain 
in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I came to the point where I was done I was done living the life that I had lived previously. I was really hopeless. I was really like, God, am I ever going to be free of this? Is this just the man problem? Am I always going to have this issue? Is my marriage going to fall apart? Is my wife going to leave me? What, how is this going to happen? And I, did, I had no hope, and I'm on a search for truth because I felt dominated. I started reading all kinds of addiction books. Everything I could find on uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, codependency, sex addiction, anything that I could read to give me tools. And you know what I found? is they all in some way or another presented a Jesus-free gospel. They said, recognize that you have a problem that's outside of your control. Sound familiar? Look up to and acknowledge a higher power outside of you, not on the inside of you. Turn yourself over in your entirety to this higher power and ask for help, ask some humility. Take responsibility for the things that you did wrong. Acknowledge that they're wrong. Try to make amends with other people and put these relationships back together. Do you understand the connection between uh, recovery as a Jesus-free gospel? And I'm telling you, it works because people do the things in desperation. And the more they do them, the more they benefit from them. The problem is something's got to replace the Jesus in there. Usually it's meetings. And as soon as the meetings end, the gospel stops working. But when you, have, when you move from a Jesus-free gospel of addiction recovery to the actual gospel, what you find is that Jesus, the Son, actually does set you free. And so if you're here tonight and you're telling yourself, I'm fine, I'm fine. This is what I did. I'm fine. It'll be fine. Everything's fine. You have to come to the point where you go, you know what? It's not fine. It's not going to be fine. And I'm not fine. Amen. And so I'm coming to the Lord and I'm saying, I need you to set me free. The other part of it is shame would love to keep you locked down. I grew up in an honor shame society. And so I'm pretty sure I, I never, ever had one adult male ever confess to me that they viewed pornography in my childhood. Never. Do you think I felt comfortable confessing that I had to any of the men in my community? And if you did get caught doing something, you know how you were treated? Shame. And so we've got to create an environment that calls evil evil, but doesn't employ shame against other guys. So this is a factor that's going to play into who you choose to talk about this. But let's not lie to ourselves. Let's be free of the shame. Let's recognize the innate recognition. This is the other thing I've had conversations with guys who go, there's nothing wrong with porn. And I'm like, okay, well, why are you hiding it? Why are you doing it in secret? Because you know it's shameful. You realize this is wrong. You don't actually want to do this, and you feel bad after, don't you? And the answer is yes, there's an innate recognition. So how do you get free? Face it and replace it. You guys ready for this? We started with face it. You got to recognize you got a problem that's outside of you. You got to come to the point like I did where you go, God, I, I don't know what to do. I'm out of options. Everything I think turns out to be wrong. I got nowhere to go. And then I'm looking to the Lord, and here's what he does. He's like, every single time, he replaces some lesser thing with something of greater power. This is what 1 Corinthians 6 is all about. The Apostle Paul is saying, you are believing a lie about your appetites, and therefore you're doing this destructive thing that's bad for everybody. You need to stop it, but you can't stop it until you acknowledge that it's wrong, number one. And then number two, take a look at your holistic life. Recognize that you are a part of something and someone, and what you do with your body matters. It always matters. It doesn't stop mattering. There is no private life, you and public life, you. That makes you into two people, and that is a farce. That's a falsity, and you will fall apart. You will never be a whole person when you are living a double life. And I can tell you 
As someone who was deceitful for the majority of my living years on the planet, when I stepped into honesty, I felt more free than I'd ever felt. I felt more whole than I'd ever felt. I felt less afraid than I'd ever felt. I went from being terrified my wife would ask me a question to being willing to have her ask me anything because when you're living in integrity, you have nothing to be afraid of. Do you understand? And so like, this is the freedom. And and so if you're locked in a pattern of addictive behavior and self-destructive behavior, I'm here to tell you that you actually can be free and there is nothing like being free. There's nothing like it. And so be whole. Be free. Face it and replace it. Here's your third word for tonight. United. Somebody say united. United. You got to have a new vision for intimacy is where you got to start. Pornography is not intimacy. It's fake intimacy. See, God made you for joy and wonder. You know the, the, the feeling of like coming to a place like the Grand Canyon? Or to the edge of the world, to some beach, to some beautiful place. You know the, the sense of awe and wonder when you're laying on your back in the desert staring up and seeing a billion stars and considering the smallness of your life and the beauty of God's majesty? You're made for this constant sense of wonder. But we get into this, this ugly, sin-soaked grind where we can't see past our own nose and then we're given these substitutes to stay high for a second and we only can find those things. You know, they did these studies on rats with cocaine and they uh, would give them a the little bar they could press and they would just get a little, a little hit of cocaine. And the rats would just all be pounding all over each other to get to the cocaine and they'd all be uh, laying out there. You know that they put that out there in an environment where rats were allowed to be rats that none of them ever touched the cocaine bar. As soon as they took them out of captivity and they could roam the streets, they never went back to the cocaine bar. Why? They replaced this this sick, twisted, empty, broken lie with a life of freedom and reality. And this is where you're going to find the freedom, guys, is when you acknowledge this and you actually start to believe it. What happens is these intense uh, temptations, you, you first start to figure out how to flee them. And we're going to end with that. Uh, for me, it was social media. I, don't have, I have I have eyes on my phone. I'm not, I'm not downloading porn. Uh, there's all these things I'm not doing. I'm telling myself I'm doing all the right things, but I'm sitting bored and, and just scrolling through Facebook. And then somebody's posting pictures from their party at the beach. Oh, I'll just look at those. Or somebody posts a video or something, and I'm watching some dumb video wasting time. And the next video queued up is intentionally engineered by Google to travel. And then I click on that video. And then the one after that, and the one after that. And before you know it, you've gone someplace you never intended to go. And so for me, I went, you know what? I don't need social media on my phone. And I was ready to go, I don't need this phone. If I can't live with this phone, if, this, if it's this thing, then I'm no, and I don't need that thing. But I just started lopping off all of the different things that led me down the pathways I didn't want to go to. And then it was fewer and fewer instances of feeling that intense desire. But when those desires came, and I'm faced with a temptation... The true things that I was believing and rehearsing in my own mind every single day. That is a lie. That is not going to be fulfilling. I am going to feel awful. That's going to ruin everything. That is not true. I was made for something else. It was those truths that changed my mind. And what, what, here's what ended up happening after the period of months. And it really was months. Probably 18 months. What I found was I was afraid of temptation. But when it came, I wasn't actually tempted by it at all. I was going, wow, no. I have no desire for that whatsoever. Has no interest, lost all interest to me. Because over a period of time, your, your mind changes, well, your brain changes. Your brain chemistry actually changes. And a thing that at one point was a temptation you couldn't resist, now it seems about as 
interesting as chewing on a cat turd. Like, why would you want to do that? Like, that's, that's literally, you, you can get there. Now, you can, also, you can also start to slip and go right back to just gnawing away on those turds. You can do that. You can absolutely do that. Because there's an element to this fleeing that's perpetual. But it starts with recognizing that you're united. You're number one united with Christ. Um, I don't know how many single guys have told me, this will stop being a problem when I'm married. <laughs> no. No, it will become the worst problem of your life when you are married. Uh, because you bring this into your marriage and you will ruin your marriage. This is not what you were made for. And so whether you're single or married, uh, widowed, no matter what age you are, you got to know that before you were made, you were not made for sex, although you were made for companionship, and sex is a part of that. But you were not made for sex. You were made for God. And you will have God forever. Uh, you will not have sex forever. At some point, at some point, everything downstairs stops working, I'm told. At some point, that will be off the table. But that does not mean you're not made for God. It does not mean that you're not made for intimacy. It does not make you any less of a man because you were made for God. So you got to face this issue and replace it and replace it with a union with God. Um, I, I wrote these, I had an old pastor who had the same issue that I did and he shared this little bit of knowledge with me and he says, I do daily affirmations. He said, every single day, I remind myself of the things that I need to know are true every single day for me. And so I started doing that in February of 2018 and I have done that every single day since February 22nd of 2018, even this morning, because I know who I want to be and I never want to go backwards. I never ever want to go back to a place in my life where I become so uh, deceived, compartmentalized, unhealthy, divided in self, um, chasing meaning, value, and purpose anywhere I can find it, and so unhappy that I'm willing to dose myself with something so caustic to my soul and to the world around me. And so every single day, I'm very serious about this. This is not something I force myself to do. It's the very first thing that I do after I make my coffee. And these are the notes. I'm going to share them with you. I am created by God in his image. And this helps me remember that I am not God. I do not get to decide things that are above my pay grade. I am created by God in his image. And that means that I'm like him in a lot of ways. And so I have the capacity that he's given me. I have the tools that I need. And I'm here to represent him on the earth. I am loved by him as my father. A lot of my issues, temptation issues, or daddy issues Let's all be honest with our we had our daddy issues. Unless you're here with your dad and you have no issues. Everything's fine. You're good. I'm loved by him as my father. I am accepted by him in his son Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad I screw up or how good I become, my acceptance is in Jesus. And I'm empowered to live for him by his Holy Spirit. I've got Holy Spirit power on the inside of me, a foreign source of power, gifted to me, poured out into me that I received by faith. I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do. I will live today in faith and faithfulness. I care naturally way too much about the wrong things and far too little about the right things. This is the battle of spirit and flesh that the scriptures speak about. I pray this, God help me to walk in your priorities with integrity. I want to walk in the truth and in love. I am naturally and abnormally preoccupied with myself. Maybe not all of you guys are, but I am but I am created to walk with God and be focused on other people. I love my wife deeply. And today I honor her and joyfully keep the vow that we made. 
I will lay down my life for her and align my desires with her highest good. My heart and my body belong to her alone. She is my perfect gift from God. I am committed to truth-telling, authenticity, and relational intimacy. Without these things, I will have no real relationships, and I will end up alone. I have only four people on this earth that call me daddy. My children are the fruit of my oneness with Tiffany and the greatest legacy we leave behind. And these kids help me to stay out of my box when I live every day for, for these four kids. I know who I want to be for them. I know who I want them to be in this world. I believe in growth, personally, relationally, corporately. People will grow. Things can and do get better because we are being renewed day by day in the image of Christ. I believe my future is better than my past and my present because Jesus is yet to appear, fully bringing the kingdom to earth. Until he comes, I am a kingdom bringer in partnership with him. I got a job to do on this earth. I have no time to waste. There's no downtime. There's no me time. I'm fully engaged. I am a follower of the resurrected King Jesus, which means it's never over and I'm never defeated, not even by death. That's that's my union with Jesus. That's what I've replaced temptation with. And that is what has helped me to become the person that I am so grateful to God to be today. And it's the reason that I actually can talk to you on this topic. You know how many years as a pastor I dodged this topic? Because what can I tell guys? Keep trying, you'll do good for a while. And you'll fail, you miserable wretch. (laughs) Just a problem, oh well, nothing we can do about it. I just didn't talk about it. And so I'm grateful to be free. I give Jesus all the credit for that freedom. And it's as simple as believing what he said to be true, trusting in him, and throwing yourself at his mercy to renew your mind and to change your life. And here's the action, here's the action. And don't you love how practical the scriptures are? One word. You ready? Last word for tonight. Flee. 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 Do not fight. You are not strong enough to fight. Run. Run. I remember one time when I first started this whole process and I was like super, super, super committed. It was the first time. It takes a little while for the bad ads to stop showing up on your phone, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not. They will go away. The bad emails will stop. So they'll, they'll show up for no reason. That's fun. That fun starts a fun conflict with your wife. Um, but they'll show up randomly. But when you are looking at things you shouldn't look at, Google knows, and you are being fully monetized. And so the stuff will pop up, and I'll never forget the first time something came up, and I, le- I just about threw my phone 40 feet. Uh, get that away from me. I don't want to see it. I don't want to touch it. And there's this impulse to flee. That's the best tool in your toolbox. Listen, you can think later, feet first. You hear me, guys? If you are not free, you want to be free, flee. Whatever the situation is, get out of there. It does not matter what the situation is, how embarrassing it is. Leave immediately. Cut it off. Whatever you've got to do. Jesus said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, if you're Jewish, you don't believe any of this nonsense. It doesn't matter what happens in your heart. It only matters what happens in your body. But Jesus said that's not the way it actually works. The problem starts on the inside of you. And so you have an eye problem before you have a body problem. Yes? Amen. And so he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's intense, isn't it? 
Now, there have been some church fathers that took this literally. So I'm not saying you should leave here tonight with less body parts than you came in with. Jesus is speaking figuratively, and he's saying, whatever it costs you. And this is what Paul does. He says, listen, the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What side of this fence are you playing on, boys? You are the righteous in Christ, united with him. And so let's face it and replace it, and this starts with fleeing. Uh, what does flee mean to you? You've got to start by being honest with yourself. If you have any instance of self-preservation, or if you go, I can't give up that. I can't, I can't give up social media. I can't get off Instagram. Are you kidding me? You're, you've already lost. If there's anything that you are willing to hold on to that leads you in this direction, the battle's over. There has to be a zero toleration and a willingness to give up anything. Jesus says, your eye or your hand, I'm just saying, delete the app from your phone. And if you can't have a phone with a screen, get a flip phone. I'm not kidding. Whatever it takes. And the battle will change for you as you have victory and as you are free. And you will be able to handle other things in the future. But right now, if you need help, if you need to flee, figure out a way to flee. Um, for me, it was watching TV. My wife falls asleep uh, very, very, very slowly. And I fall asleep very, 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 very quickly. I don't know if you guys are like this at all. We committed to ourselves. This is just our marriage. Everyone's different. This is not a Bible thing. But we go to bed at the same time every night. My wife and I always go to bed at the same time. None, neither one of us stays up late. On very, very rare occasions do we not go to bed at the same time. But I fall asleep in less than three minutes every single night. And she lays awake for 45 minutes trying to fall asleep. And so I would do something for her, like rub her arm or, or stroke her hair or something. And she will fall asleep very quickly. And so I started watching television on the laptop so she would fall asleep. Because that would keep me from falling asleep. But that, for me, ended up being a problem where she's now asleep and I'm watching things alone. And so no more TV shows for me. And so I'm full podcast at this point. Earbuds are in. And I'm, I'm not, if it's a temptation for me, it's over. What, uh, I didn't finish season six. Grow up. Uh, so social media. I think for some of us, it's just alone time. Um, this started for me because I was working from home all by myself. And just there's no reason. If there's a time for you that's bad, don't, don't put yourself in that position. If you, if you can't travel, don't travel alone. If, you, if, if, it's, if it's three in the morning, if you wake up too early, or if, you're, if you have some place where that's a temptation for you, be honest with yourself about what it is and stop it. Somebody else may be able to do that. You can't. That's the problem. You've got to know you and you've got to do you. And part of that is knowing what to cut off and where to flee. Amen? So be, be honest with yourself. Recognize the when, where, and how. Here's a few tools for you before we go. If you want to educate yourself on some of those things I talked about, I, did, I have... Pages and pages and pages of statistics and numbers and all kinds of things that would horrify you, but you'll forget that. It won't matter, but if you want numbers, uh, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious, anti-porn education website that will tell you just how terrible this is for you, for your relationships, for your family, for the world. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking to read, but it will help you to change your mind. Um, educate. Second is Limit. So I have coveted eyes. Um, there is no software that will keep you completely safe. Do you know that? Because you will always find a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you there is no magic software. So don't, don't think that I, now that I have the software, I'm good. No, no, no. But if you actually want to stop yourself and hold yourself accountable, there are apps and websites like Covenant Eyes that you can download to your devices. They will, they will filter out all porn, not all lustful images, but all porn. And then anything that you actually hover on, look at, it actually is recording your screen intermittently and randomly, 
and we'll scan that for anything that's inappropriate and send a blurred out image of what you were looking at to a person of your choosing. And so like, if you're trying to keep yourself on the straight and narrow, it's a great tool. If you're trying to find something to ruse other people, it's a great tool for that too. Do you hear me? But it will limit you if you're trying to actually um, limit yourself. And then uh, there's a website called Fortify. Um, if you don't have men in your life, and if you're not engaged in this topic with your spouse, um, you're not going to make it. You have to have people. And if you don't have someone that you can talk to or that you can trust, Fortify is a website where you can just get connected with other guys who are just around the world and can help you and coach you. Uh, and there's accountability that's built in you that's not in your immediate circle. And so if that's attractive to some of you guys, um, you can try that as well. And so flee. Do whatever it takes to flee. If you do these things, what will happen? And if I'm speaking to my 2016-2018 self. My 2005-2016 self was self-deluded, believing lies, and hiding. That's what I was. But from 2016-2018, I was desperate and genuinely wanted change. And I was hungry for actual help. And these are the things that helped me. So this is what I'm giving to you. So if this is, this is where you're at, I just want to like say, say to you, like, I cannot overstate... I cannot overstate how much more there is than this battle. And if your life has been reduced down to just fighting this on your own and cyclically losing, you're not living. If you're young and you've dabbled and you're here and you, you haven't exposed that to anybody, what you could end up in will literally destroy you. And that's what the devil's after. Do you understand this? And so I'm just pleading with you. Take this seriously. What will happen for you is that you will start by fleeing and everything will get easier, but you will be on constant guard, hypervigilant all the time. But it takes some time for you to just do that before new thoughts start to change your mind and your brain and before you start actually believing different things about yourself. And so sometimes you gotta really hyperinsulate in order to change things from the inside out. So you gotta start by fleeing. You gotta be working on this mind of yours you got to be giving your heart completely to the Lord. This is not a static thing. There's not statistics that will change your mind enough. Your heart has to be different. You've got to come into a one, united relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's where the power actually is. You can go to meetings, and meetings will be enough for you as long as you are, you are soul-dependent on meetings for the rest of your life. If anybody was in recovery any length of time, you know how quickly, after you stop going to the meetings, it's one traumatic event before you're right back to the destructive behavior. And so... Don't substitute other people, your own, your own lists, whatever it is that you do for you, with a life-giving relationship in Jesus. That's where the power is. Do you understand? Because it's the Son who sets you free. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And when that happens, oh man, you'll, you'll be able to receive God's good gift of sex in your own marriage. You'll be able to see the world differently. You'll start seeing human beings, not for how attractive they are, or a threat they are if they're a man, or how sexy they are if they're a woman, you start to see people. You'll stop being a monster. You'll start being a person who's mindful of the person in front of them, who's tuned into kingdom building, whose, whose life doesn't revolve around meeting this one need and getting this one buzz or this one high or trying to fight that. You'll leave, you'll leave the bipolar world of, of being a crazy person who on the one hand wants this thing badly, on the other hand hates it and wishes that you didn't. And so I'm just inviting you, like, trust God. Do what he says first and then pursue him in intimacy and watch how he changes your heart and mind. Amen. What you will find is the things that he says are good are good.
The things that he says are bad are really bad. If you do the things he says, life will be good for you and better and better. And if all of us do that together, the world will actually change. This is God's prescription for you. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's my talk. That's, that's, that's talk one. So thank you guys. Thanks for listening.